welcome everyone to The Enthusiast Life. I am your host, Mark Turcott. I'm so glad each and every one of you have decided to make me a part of your week. We got a good one in store for you this week. We're going to be talking about Super Mario Maker 2 as well as Chernobyl. And the reason this show is coming out a few days later is I went and saw Spider-Man Far From Home. So I'm going to give you my brief little topical review here on this episode, spoiler free. And then next week, we're going to dive deep. So don't forget, quick housekeeping here, guys. Don't forget, you can follow me on Twitter at MarkTurk. That's M-A-R-K-T-U-R-C. Or you can email the show at theenthuselife at gmail.com, just like... Justin did and Justin said big fan of your show I remember a bunch of episodes ago you had talked about how amazing this movie was both from the story plot and art I finally got a chance to watch it and thank you Netflix and I have to say and he's talking about Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse you were a hundred percent correct the movie was fantastic he says I watched the movie with my family and the film hit every note for me the art on its own was amazing. The story plot had us on the edge of our seat the whole time. And the ending, what a way to end the movie. Anyone can wear the mask. Just brilliant. And the quote at the end, that person who helps others simply because it should or must be done and because it is the right thing to do is indeed, without a doubt, a real superhero. Stan Lee said it had both him, him and his wife all misty-eyed. He said, talk about one of the most amazing and influential people in our lifetime. Thanks again, many times over for your work and for the fantastic recommendation. Next one on my list is to watch the Broly movie. He said he's also a Dragon Ball fan that his wife got him for Father's Day. He says, amazing women or woman that she is. I cannot wait to listen to your next episode. Just keep up the great work, sir. Well, Justin, thank you for sending me that email. And Justin did also email me. He did watch Broly, and he absolutely loved it. So, Justin, thank you for emailing the show. And again, if you want to be uh, have your voice heard here on the show, email me, theenthuselife at gmail.com. And like Justin tipped off here at the top of the show, Into the Spider-Verse is on Netflix. So if you have Netflix and you have not seen that movie, go see it. It is just absolutely fantastic. Like he said there, I mean, him and his wife, Misty Eye, there's definitely moments in that movie that you would never think an animated Spider-Man could make you feel, but it does. It gives you those feels. It's, it's, they just nailed it. It's, it's fantastic. So definitely watch it. It's on Netflix. Uh, great movie. But uh, let's jump in here. Uh, first this week, I just want to tell you guys that my son, I don't know if you follow me on Twitter here, like like I mentioned, at Mark Turk, um, he had his, thir- his 13th birthday. So we've been celebrating that. Well, he had a sleepover this past week. And we did just kind of the, the have friends come on over. We went to Dave and Buster's so they could all play some video games there and bought them a bunch of cards so they could go, you know, just play a bunch of arcade games. Uh, but when we came back, I had set up five TVs in our basement with two PlayStation 4s, two Xbox Ones, and a Nintendo Switch. And the beauty of it all was that they just planned to play Fortnite. And because of now the crossplay, they were able to do that. And it just it just amazes me that we live in this world of gaming where kids can do that or anybody can do that. You know, it a lot of people when I put the post up on Twitter, people were like, "Oh, it's just, you know, what you didn't do LAN parties back in the day." And that's like, to me, it's that wasn't exactly just the point. It wasn't just the fact that five kids can play together on on the single game. It's the fact that they could do it on all these different platforms. The fact that we now live in an age where Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo are kind of okay with people playing these games together. I, I don't know. It just kind of blew my mind. So you know, I would say go look at the picture, but I mean, you don't even need to look at the picture because it just it is what it is. But uh, I just thought it was fascinating. And they did. They rocked till probably about 2.30 in the morning. Um, it got to the point at some, I, I went down a few times and they were switching games, kind of switching off in that, 
um, where you know one kid was playing um, Minecraft at one point and someone else was playing uh, Warface. I think somebody had downloaded Warface on my Xbox One. Uh, I saw him playing that. But for the majority of the time, they played Fortnite. And you know, a lot of people think, well, there's five kids in Fortnite. Your squad is only up to four. Uh, what they do is they go into creative and they just hang out and do wacky things like like I used to do in Halo 2 uh, custom matches or in Halo 3 Forge when we would just go on. You're really there just hanging out with your friends, just kind of messing around in these games. And, um, you know, Fortnite for what it is, even though it's not necessarily my bag, um, I can see when, when you see it in, in the way these kids play these games and just have fun playing together. Uh, it's awesome. So... Uh, I thought that was kind of neat that, you know, we, we have this, this time where all these systems can play together. Very cool. Uh, but I do want to talk about this week's Super Mario Maker 2, which is a game that I had absolutely been anticipating for, ever since they announced it months ago, uh, which really was kind of a short release if you think about it. I want to say that was maybe January or February maybe when we first heard about that game, and then it just kind of snuck up on us here. Um, but, uh, you know, my, uh, just life with Mario goes back to years and years and years ago, literally to the day one that I got my Nintendo entertainment system back in whatever year that was 86, 87 for Christmas. I know I've told that story before, but I literally opened excite bike before I opened up the console and was bawling my eyes out on Christmas morning. And my dad's just like, keep opening your presents. Because <laughs> the console was sitting there still under the tree. But of course, I opened the game and thinking like, oh my god, I don't have this system. I won't be able to play it. Um, but yeah, and then you know that day, opened that box, popped in Mario. Because of course, Mario came with the system. And just, it was love at first sight. And I played nonstop every single Mario game. Absolutely love those games, especially the 2D Marios. There's something about those games. And it's probably why when I look back at just the the games that I love, if I kind of take a step back, it's 2D platformers, roguelikes, like that style of game. I just love it. There, there's something about uh, uh, the, the risk reward that you get and, and what those games can actually bring to the table. You know, so when the first Mario Maker came out on the Wii U, obviously blown away by it, absolutely loved it. Never thought really there would need to be a sequel, although, you know, come on, this is Nintendo here. They're going to make every sequel they can out of it, especially when they have a new platform. You got to get that game on the platform. Kind of the same reason the game had come out for the 3DS, uh, which, of course, I bought it there as well. Um, but Super Mario Maker 2, it's, it was like, what else could they possibly do to make this game any better? Well, they did, number one, and and part of that is because they added just so many other tools to the game that to some may seem just simple, but it really does change the game. So one of the things they put in there are slopes. I mean, that was one of the things like, oh, slopes, you know, that little thing, but it really does. I mean, the way these levels are being created by people is almost like they're becoming these little puzzles. You know, you, you'll every once in a while you'll play a level that feels more like a typical Mario level where it's just go left to right and do your thing. But now with all these different uh, tools that are in there, it becomes find the keys to open the door. Or one of the neat things they're allowing you to do now is set um, like basically requirements to beat the level, to finish the level. So one of the things may be never, never leave your feet and land. Or when you leave your feet, you can't land. And then if that happens, the flag won't appear at the end. So you have to constantly be walking. So the one level, um, you come in and there's like a saw blade with a little hump over it. So you got to like wait till the saw blades out of the way, stand on the hump, the saw blade comes back, and then you can kind of go down on the other side. And then there's a little ghost that pops up from the bottom. You got to wait till he goes away. Or there was, and then the same thing, there's one where you get the P block that you have to throw in a corner. So one of the thwomps or those things that come down from the top hit it. 
and then it creates a, a bridge for you to walk across. But the problem there is, and they introduce these in, in the first Mario Maker, there's these little donuts going up and down that keep going through that bridge that if you hit it, it bounces you up in the air. So you got to kind of wait while they're going down so you can get across this time bridge, but the whole, or across the bridge, but the whole time it's one of those coin bridges that you created with the P. And if you don't do it quick enough, they just turn to coins and you die. So it's just, it's these little things that they're able to add to the game. And, um, you know, the, the user created levels are just fantastic. Of course. I mean, a lot of people out there are just geniuses when it comes to creating these levels, which I am not, but I'm, I will gladly take the wealth of levels that they'll create for me. Um, they create a neat little system. I mean, it was in the last game seems to be a little bit better this time. I know that was one of the problems some people had with the previous game. Uh, you can go in, see what, what some hot levels are, popular levels. You can search, uh, via the level codes. I mean, that's the one thing that's still a bit weird. Like if I created a level, you can't just search me out. You still got to use the friend code. Um, but I think part of that is just because you would probably just get a cluster of, you know, if you just search like uh, run fast, there'd probably be just a bazillion levels that would come up. Uh, so it, it, I think the way that they're doing it is kind of the right way. I haven't actually looked online yet mobile wise because that was one of the cool things was there was a site you could basically go to and set it to your Nintendo account so a lot of times I would just go on my phone browse levels you hit it and then it would appear in game so I don't know if that's there this time around I would assume something like that is coming if it's not there yet um, but the story mode surprisingly is really really great in this game and I, I say story mode but I think even Nintendo kind of uses that uh, loosely uh, the story essentially, I mean, every Mario game has a story, but come on, you know, they're just princesses taken. It's not happening here in this case. Basically, in this case, castle's built, everything's great, you know, Peach's castle's there, and there's this <laughs> uh, redo button on the ground, and they're like, oh no, don't press the redo button, or redo button. And there's this little dog who's basically the er eraser dog that jumps around, he steps on the button, Peach's castle goes away. And your job is to go into levels, which there's a hundred levels that Nintendo themselves created, the folks at Nintendo, um, the different developers and all that. I, essentially, it seems like they just said, hey, everybody that works at Nintendo, create levels for us. Probably not everybody, but a lot of them, at least on the Mario team. And they made those the levels. You go into these levels. For completing them, you get coins. And then even any coin you collect in the level, you get when, when you complete it. You bank those coins. You go back to a little toad with a little construction hat on pay him X amount of money and they start building the castle back. So it almost took, a, I was kind of laughing, like it's almost like Super Mario Run on the mobile device that it, where you're kind of building your own little area, you're building Peach's castle. Now it is kind of set in an order in terms of the build order. Sometimes it may give you two or three things to build and you can choose what you want to buy, but you, you can never really progress past those until everything's built. So it's not really like you're customizing the castle so much. Uh, but when it comes to the levels, it'll throw at you like 15 levels and you can do them in any order you want. And what's neat is that it, each one is almost a mini tutorial for some of the different systems and tools that will be in the builder and they're almost showing you how you can use them. So it'll have like a silly name at the beginning of it, of the level, but then it'll tell you like, and it's kind of doing it in like a story way, but like there's a car now in the game that you can literally drive on the map and you can run things over. And I think when you crash into things, you can crash into them either two or three times and the car blows up and it'll tell you how to move the car before you go in the level, you pop in, there's the car. And then here's this level that the pros at Nintendo built 
that kind of show you how that car works. So it's kind of neat. And, and I mean, the best part about it is just like in, you know, every Mario Maker, when you do those random levels, you'll be doing an 8-bit stage. And then the next bit stage is Super Mario World. And then the next one is back to Mario 3. And it's just all over the place. So it's kind of neat. And then again, to see all those systems and kind of be like, what can they come up with? Um, this time around, they also have uh, Super Mario 3D World is one of the, the modes, although it is 2D, it's not necessarily 3D. Uh, it's actually more like 3D land that was on the 3DS, um, but it still doesn't have that kind of third perspective in that you could kind of go forward and back on the plane on the 3D plane, if you want to call it, but in here you can't, but it does have the cat ability, which is cool. It's led to definitely some neat levels that I've seen where you're climb, be able to climb things. Um, there's, there's things that the cats can break when you scratch in your cat suit. Uh, it's great, man. I mean, it's, it's one of those games that you pop in and you can't help but smile just because there's so many different things to do uh, in the game, I mean, it's endless. You can just go in, and, and so far the story mode I haven't completed yet. I think I'm at a little over 50% um, because we've been going online and doing stuff there too, but it, you still just get that same feeling because it's just throwing all these different levels at you. And what's cool too about the story mode um, is I've been playing with, with my kids, and some of, some of it gets a little bit tough. You know, it does get a little bit hard. Well, after like two or three times, it pops up on screen, and it's Luigi, and he's like, hey, bro, which I think is funny. He always says that, but he's like, hey, bro, if you need some help, hit the minus and I have some tools for you. And if you open that, it can give you a star, give you a flower, give you, you know, all, all the different little things that could help you get through the levels, uh, which is kind of neat. So it's like kind of easing, you know, people that maybe couldn't do the levels because they're too hard. It helps them out to kind of get through them. So uh, I'm interested to see now with all these other tool sets that are there, as well as all the new people that are playing, because really, the Wii U version obviously sold a lot. A lot of people that own the Wii U bought it, but the Wii U itself just as a system, I mean, I, I don't know what the number was, but it didn't sell anywhere near, I think, what they were projecting, obviously, and anywhere near what the Switch has. I mean, the Switch has surpassed the PS4 in Japan. So that right there just tells you how popular the Switch is. So, so many more people are going to be playing the system. So that means there's going to be that many more creators uh, just creating levels. So I can't wait to see it and just... It's going to be that game that I'm just going to keep going back to to play. I, you know, it's funny. Like right now, I've been talking about the last few weeks here on the show about Elder Scrolls Elsewhere. Uh, well, of course, last week I started telling you about play Fantasy Star Online 2, which I am very deep into. And we're, I'm going to do like a special episode about that game at some point because there's a lot to say about that game. But, but um, you know, I'm, I've still been spending the majority of my time in those, even though I have Mario Maker 2, because one of the beautiful things about Mario Maker 2 is you could hop on and do like two or three levels and like just feel like you've had this complete gaming experience and just move on. Or I've been, like I said, I've been playing with my kids because it's just, it's that fun game to play and it's never going to end. It's like you can always sign on and always know you're going to have a fun, just great gaming experience. So it's, it's fantastic. If you own a Switch, it's a must-own. I, I would almost go as far to say that if you are a Nintendo Mario lover, which by this point you should have already bought the Switch because of Odyssey, uh, but this is definitely one that should push you forward. And this is a game you can definitely play with family, play with friends. And, and yes, I mean, I, we haven't even really tried the multiplayer yet, surprisingly. I, I actually went online with one match, which, by the way, right now you can't play with friends. But um, I did go online just to see what that experience was. And I, it was pretty bad. Like the, the connection was terrible. 
Um, it, it was, I don't know if it was just frame rate issues or what was happening there, but I think it was just the connections of where these people were located and it was not fun at all. So I could see why maybe, maybe that's the reason Nintendo said like, Hey, we're not going to let you play with your friends. Cause they knew the experience would just be bad. And in the end it would just kind of become this novelty of playing online. I don't know. Oh, and the other thing too, to mention that this is kind of cool. My daughter is loving this, which I don't know why this wasn't in the last game. It's brilliant. They did it this time around, but as you play other people's levels, you get what they call maker points. And so with your maker points, you can buy little items to customize your me. You actually create a little me that is your quote unquote maker profile. It's basically your profile, but you can put on silly hats and silly shirts and silly pants and you know, she's loving that. She's like, we got to get more maker points. We could buy this shirt and unlock this. And that part of it is kind of neat. I think that, that they added this um, kind of investment system into playing online. So it entices you to just go online and keep playing online to get these maker points. And, you know, we haven't created a level yet, but it wouldn't surprise me if you get maker points just for people playing your level. Um, I don't know. I think it's, it's pretty neat. And, and I'll tell you this, Super Mario 3D World is the... It's in like its own little box. There's definitely more room for more worlds to go in there. And it would not surprise me if we get a, you know, uh, what was it, Super Mario Land? It wasn't that the GBA or the, the Game Boy version. If we get that type of tile set or maybe a Mario 2 tile set or something like that, that stuff is definitely going to be coming. And, and I mean, I would gladly pay for like another 50 levels made by the Nintendo folks in that style. Plus they get access to play more levels in that. I think they're going to do that. I think it's definitely going to happen. So definitely Mario Maker 2. Check it out. I'm loving it. It is a heck of a game. Uh, all right, well, let's move on here. Uh, before we do, I want to go ahead and thank my sponsor, and that is, of course, GamerGoo. The good folks over at GamerGoo continuing to support the show, so big thanks to them. And if you're not familiar with GamerGoo, it is an antiperspirant for your hands. That's right, so if you've ever played those sweaty PvP matches or whatever game you're playing, you're really intense, real, you know, action-style game, your hands are sweating on that controller, GamerGoo has you covered. You put this on your hands, it can protect you for up to four hours of gaming, and your hands will not be sweaty. And I've said this before here on the show, and I promise you, I hate putting on lotions and all that, but this stuff... Good. You put it right on your hand and it passes the phone test. You can touch your phone. It's not going to leave your phone all greasy. It's fantastic. It comes in now six different scents. The original scents were the peppermint, the orange, and the cinnamon, which cinnamon is my favorite. I've said it before here too. My gaming room now smells like cinnamon. I just kind of equate gaming with that smell. Uh, but they just released three new scents, and that's vanilla, teakwood, and cherry blossom. So I have not gotten my hands on this or, I guess, put it on my hands maybe is the right way term to use uh, but I haven't used them yet but I'm the vanilla I'm sure is probably fantastic and I definitely want to check out that cherry blossom uh, but if you're interested and you think you may want to check it out go to gamergoo.com they have a uh, free sample trio you can check out over there they'll give you the orange the cinnamon and peppermint you can check it out and then of course if you're interested in purchasing it also gamergoo.com use my code tell that's t-e-l as in the enthusiast life get yourself set up over there uh, it's a very, very just neat, uh, even gaming gift. I tell folks a lot, if you're looking for that cheap gift just to get that gamer in your life, this is something neat that they probably never heard of, and it, it's just fantastic. So go to Gamergoo.com, use my code TELL, that's T-E-L, and save yourself 10% off your order today. And you can also now get Gamergoo Sports, which essentially is a Gamergoo, but it's marketed for sports. So if you're into, if you do um, like CrossFit or if you're any, any lifting or anything like that, you can put this on. You won't get sweaty hands on the bars, which I 
think is awesome. Uh, looks like it's the orange flavor for that. So the GamerGoo Sports, you can get some orange there uh, and check it out. So again, GamerGoo.com, use my code TEL, that's T-E-L, save yourself 10% off your order today. And again, big thanks to GamerGoo for continuing to support the show. All right, well, let's shift gears away from video games and talk about something that I've been watching that has just absolutely captivated me over this past week. And this may not be anything new to uh, some folks out there. I think I mentioned I was going to try to watch this a few weeks ago, and um, it's just been dragging my feet. And part of it was because my wife had no interest in watching this. Um, And, you know, I, I was... Definitely intrigued, but the minute I watched that first episode, I just could not stop and just kind of trucked through the rest uh, of the series. And actually, my wife ended up kind of jumping on board as I was telling her things, and I just ended up just started watching it while she was in the room, and she was just herself captivated by it. And that is HBO's miniseries, Chernobyl. If you have not watched this series, I highly, highly recommend you do. I know it's on HBO. I know it's one of those things that's like a pay-to-watch to type thing, but it is honestly the best miniseries I've ever seen in my life. Like, it is one of the best things I think that's ever been on TV. Um, it, it's it's just, it's something special. It's one of those things that you know at the end of this year, and I'm not usually anybody that's all about the Emmys and things like that. They need to throw every single Emmy they possibly can at this show. Uh, Craig Mazin was the guy who created it. He's the writer. And uh, he spent years uh, researching the Chernobyl disaster just to see kind of what happened. Because and and the other thing I want to mention too is there's a podcast, a companion podcast that came out for this. So every time an episode aired on HBO, they would put out one of these podcasts, about a 45 minute episode. And uh, I don't know who the who the host was, uh, but Craig Mazin himself would be on there, and he would basically tell you like what the what was true that you saw in the series. And the history behind it, or maybe and even filling gaps that they didn't they don't show in the sh- in the series, or in that episode that you saw that week, and it just adds so much to it. And the shocking part about the whole thing is a lot of what you see on there actually happened. That it, and to the point that it's almost terrifying. Like that's literally what needed to be done to clean it up, or that's literally what happened in these moments. So just a couple things I want I want to mention about it that that I think might hopefully push you to watch the show. But one of the things that Craig says in, in one, the first episode of the podcast was that he, he started researching Chernobyl. He's, he's a writer. He's written many different things. Uh, but he's like, you know, when you ask somebody what happened to the Titanic, they say, well, it sank. And you say, why? And they say, well, it hit an iceberg. Everybody knows that. Well, Chernobyl, what happened? Well, there was this nuclear power plant and I don't know, did it melt down or it blew? I don't know. Well, why? Nobody knows. And part of that is because, and yes, I know some people do know if you want to research it in the show, they let you know, here's how it happened. But but the majority of people, the majority of the populace don't know really what happened at Chernobyl. And that's kind of what his, his mission was to do with the series. And one of the things also that, so that kind of had him thinking. So when he started researching it, he realized that the man who was basically headed, was, I say forced, who was designated to head up the cleanup and kind of be the site the head scientist of, of kind of getting it all in order committed suicide two years to the day that chernobyl blew up and so that was him saying like wait a minute something something's here and so that's literally where the series starts quick little minor spoiler alert but that's literally the beginning of this the scientist 
committing suicide. You hear his voice, that's where it starts, and then it goes back. And it starts going through it all. And for those that don't know what happened in Chernobyl, essentially, one of the nuclear power plants, uh, you know, uh, Terminal 4, literally blew up. And the core of a nuclear power plant was completely exposed to the sky. And it was on fire when it happened. And so... It is by far the worst nuclear disaster we've ever had. I mean, Fukushima in Japan was could have been very bad. That didn't blow up. That was more of just a meltdown. Doing my own little research because this series has completely pushed me to just look at, you know, uh, these different accidents through the years, especially Chernobyl. The Fukushima plant, it's estimated released anywhere from 10 to 20 percent radiation of that of Chernobyl so Chernobyl was that much worse and literally because it exploded with a completely exposed core which is just crazy when you think about it and here this show I'm usually talking about things I'm enthusiastic about I'm talking about these bad things but the way the series presents what the the Russian people needed to do to clean this up the sacrifice that they had to do and the other thing it shows is even just kind of the arrogance around you know, the, the, the Soviet Union at that time and, and the, the communist society. I mean, here you, you're, you're represented with Pripyat, which is the city that was a few miles away. That whenever you see, you know, the abandoned Ferris wheel and the carousel, that's, that's Pripyat. It was a city basically built in the, the most perfect Russian societal, communistic society they could possibly build. These beautiful buildings. There was a community center with a pool, the the Ferris wheels, all that stuff. And everybody just did their job. And it was this just, you know, perfect little area society built with the idea that they would all work at at the, the power plant in Chernobyl. And not all of them, of course, because people needed to do jobs in the city. But that was what the majority of those people did. And it was the dream that the communist society built. So you get to see that. You know, we, we read about that in school or hear about it in school and, and you know, you always hear more about how communists were bad and you hear that. And, and, you know, obviously when you look at the KGB, they did some very bad things and the KGB definitely comes into account here in Chernobyl. Um, but, you know, the people that were living it were doing what they needed to do with the idea that you will be fed, you will get to live in this great city, these great areas, which again, the majority of Russia did not all have that experience, but these people did. So to them, the communist society was great at least, right? Because they got to have all these things and they, they represent that in the show. But when all hell breaks loose, and I'm not going to, I don't want to spoil why Chernobyl blew up because, and, and, and honestly, it's not really like that even should be a spoiler. I mean, that's kind of silly to, to say that. Uh, but I want you to watch the show and I want you to see it because it, it the way it's presented is, is really great and they really walk you through it. But when all hell breaks loose and radiate, they, they basically have to come to the determination like we need to evacuate these people just seeing that they just did it. I mean, imagine literally over a thousand buses pulling into your town, wherever you live, and they say, pack your bags for three days. We're coming back, but you got to get on this bus. We're leaving. And people just did it. They did it just totally, you know, voluntarily because you were told to do it. And yes, that's what you do. Nowadays, if anything like that ever happened in America, especially today, I mean, there it wouldn't even cross anybody's mind to do it like people would be fighting and screaming and it'd just be mayhem but they did it and and that's i think to me what really struck me with this this series is is just seeing the just uh, the sacrifice and i mean not that that's a sacrifice like another thing you know there there's there's a moment where we find out that 
this explosion, as bad as it was, and I mean, it, it radiated 2,600 square kilometers or some, whatever the number is, but it could be even worse. And there's th something that needs to be done to not allow that to happen. And we need to do it within a few hours. There's a select few 20 people that could do it. And they go into a room and say, we need three volunteers. And those three volunteers essentially know their lives are going to end, but someone's got to do it. And in the end, it's like three guys stood up because they knew by sacrificing ourselves, we're helping the greater good. And that was the communist mentality. The Soviet mentality was that's just what they needed to do. I mean, even the whole cleanup, they had over 700,000 people come in and they're called liquidators. And their, their job was to literally clear the ground around Chernobyl. All those square kilometers, clear everything, plants, bikes, pets, family pets, animals, things like that. Just liquidate them, clear them, and just take them down. And that's what they did. And, and in those same moments, they all knew they're not necessarily sacrificing their lives because some of them weren't so close, but some of them were to the point where you got to get on this roof. We got to clear the roof where all this stuff just blew up. You can only be on this roof for 90 seconds because in those 90 seconds you're going to be on there, you're going to be exposed to the maximum, if not more, possible radiation you should be exposed to in your whole life. So you're going to be a liquidator to help us out. Your whole job is one run of 90 seconds. And they just did it because it needed to be done. I, I'm telling you guys, watch this series. It is fantastic. I mean, it, a lot of it is going to be hard to watch too. I mean, and the neat thing is that they respectfully represent things in ways that they needed to be represented, but they don't ever go overboard. Like they definitely could have had all these moments of radiation burns and, and seeing all that stuff and made the explosion of the, the nuclear reactor, this big epic, you know, explosion like, like you would see if you ever saw this on like a Hollywood movie screen, but they don't. When you see the, the reactor blow up for the first time, which, I mean, you see it, I think the last episode, you'll see it again when they're kind of walking you through what essentially happened. But the only time we really see it explode, it's the very first episode, probably within the first like three or four minutes. And it's a woman in the middle of the night going to get a glass of water out of the fridge and out the window we see it she doesn't see it way off in the distance you see you just kind of see it and you see this big like beam of light kind of go up that's it we're not presented with this you know hollywood dramatization like you think like pearl harbor right remember the movie pearl harbor with ben affleck and they just dramatize putting a love story into the attack on pearl harbor i mean why why? You don't need that. You could have just presented it in such a different way. And Craig Mazin and what Johan Rennick, I think is the, the director's name. They just did it in such an amazing way. And like I said, if you do end up watching the show, you got to listen to the podcast because it, I, I mean, it was one of those things where I tore through this thing in like two days, which you could probably do it in one sitting. It's only five episodes, but listen to the, even the podcast, like tore through those because it was just fascinating. And it's even had me go out now to the point he keeps bringing up multiple books Craig Mason brings up there, but there's one called the voices of Chernobyl and a lot of the stories the little moments you see in here are moments pulled from that book where it was people saying like things that happened things they saw they show in here and it's it's wow I mean, I mean HBO I didn't expect this thing to be as good as it is I don't even know really what I expected from it I mean I didn't I don't even think I ever would have thought they would have made something bad about Chernobyl but um, it's really touched me in a, in a weird way. And the, the, the very interesting thing is that Craig Mazin said he started writing this in 2015. 
And a lot of the theme of this show is about lies. It's one of the first quotes you hear in the beginning of the show is what's the cost of lies? And you hear that a lot. And that's essentially what happened here with Chernobyl. It was it was lie after lie after lie, just eventually, and I think he, he says this at some point, every lie we give is paying a debt to the truth. And at some point, the truth comes to collect that debt. And essentially, that's the ultimate story of Chernobyl. And when he wrote this in 2015, he said he had no clue that we would be living in a I'm just going to say maybe you could say political climate, but a, a day and age, let's say, where lies permeate a lot of our lives out there. And that's, you know, that the, what's the cost of these lies? At some point, the truth is going to catch up. And, um, you know, it, it's it's a very interesting show for, for that reason alone. So just give it a give give it a watch for sure, if you can. Um, it, it's fantastic. It's actually, you know, there's a lot of. A lot of these shows that come out, even like Netflix shows, I would never think about buying these things to own them. I am very tempted when this is released, because you know it's going to be released on Blu-ray and that. I, I may actually purchase this, because it's one that, I, I I don't know, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, so uh, check it out. It, it's it's great. All right, let's move on past Chernobyl. Man, I'm, I'm sitting here like just, just thinking about some of these moments in these. And I hope if you guys do watch it, please email me, theenthuselife at gmail.com. If you watch it as a, as a released um, let me know too. Cause I know, you know, obviously I think they did it over five weeks when every episode came out. Uh, let me know what you think. Uh, and you know, just one, one other quick thing too, is that's kind of neat. This is the first time they've done kind of this, com- these companion podcasts. Um, what's cool too, is the podcast you can download obviously in all the podcast readers and all that stuff, players out there, but you can actually listen via the HBO go or HBO now app. So I'm hoping this is something that they're going to start doing with all their shows now is just give us kind of these insights. Like they've been doing it now for a while where like game of Thrones after the episode, they give you kind of like that quick little three or four minute glimpse into the production of the episodes. I hope they start doing these podcasts now. Not that I would ever listen to them through the HBO go app, but it's just another way of expanding out um, just podcasts to an audience that maybe don't listen to podcasts. So uh, I think that's pretty neat. And hopefully they'll just continue doing it with every show they come out with. So we can start getting insight into these shows. Cause I love that. Like just the, the production behind it and the idea of them. Why did you write certain scenes, scenes these way, this way, or I don't know. It's just neat to see that stuff. So uh, hopefully we see it more with uh, some more HBO shows uh, moving forward. Uh, All right. Well, only three topics this week. I got one more here and that's Spider-Man far from home, Uh, just the holiday week and all that. But I want to jump in here to Spider-Man and I like I'm gonna say like I said before spoiler free next week we're gonna dive into the full-on spoilers I think actually next week I'll be doing uh, the episode where we'll punch in the MCU rewatch episode into that uh, I'll be talking definitely some stranger things next week and uh, then again the details on spider-man but went last night packed theater as always I love you know a lot of people don't like going to movies on launch nights and I get that that you don't like being in a crowded theater where it's loud I, man, I love it, especially Star Wars and these Marvel movies where everybody that's there is like a super fan. You know, if you go a week or two after, you're going to get people in the audience that are just kind of there like, let's go see the new Spider-Man. I like to go when it's the people who are enthusiastic to go see it. And so there's cheers, there's laughs. And yes, we had that last night when we went and saw Spider-Man Far From Home. I mean, this movie is funny like I was homecoming was funny and obviously this Tom Holland Spider-Man has been comedic up to this point but they really took it beyond where it's been up to this point and 
and I know that could be maybe to some may think like, oh, it's kind of a detriment, but it's really not. Like when you when you read, especially the original Spider-Man books, and then I mean, kind of every every Spider-Man book, that's just the way Spider-Man is. He's constantly commenting on things. He got those quips. Uh, he's all like, I've always said like Deadpool is like the hardcore Spider-Man in that sense, and that's what that's what Spider-Man is. He's always just you know throwing out these funny things. He's always getting himself in funny moments, and they. This movie especially, they capture the teenage life of Spider-Man. I mean, it's kind of neat that the Tobey Maguire movies and then uh, the Andrew Garfield, those movies, we saw the origin of Spider-Man, but we never really got that teenage Spider-Man that was there in those early 60s comics, you know, that Stan wrote back in the day. And that's what we've been getting with Tom Holland. He is just a straight-up teenager. And this one, is it's, it's almost more like a teenage... Uh, high school comedy in a sense with the superhero thrown in again some people may not think that sounds great but it just it works everything about this movie works uh, because of all of that Um, you know we have obviously the little romance side of it we've seen kind of where you know they've introduced Mary Jane in the last movie and if you've watched the trailers and that you know that that's going to play a role here in this film and they they represent it great I mean their relationship uh, blooms in this in this uh, movie, and it, it's just neat to see. You know, I, I think that they they're really capturing that. The whole just crew of of uh, friends around him um, bloom even more. We get more kind of insight into their characters. Uh, one thing they do, and they kind of let you know very very early on in the movie, is kind of why everybody's back at school. How all that played out, we learned kind of due to the the effects of of Endgame and even Infinity War how things went down in the world. We get a little bit of closure on that. They give you a little bit more insight into all that. And they do it in a fun, just exciting way. It was kind of neat to just sit down to a Marvel movie again and not be depressed. I mean, not that we were depressed in Infinity War or Endgame, but just to not have the weight. So much just pressure of the threat that was there. This was just a, a fun movie marvel and honestly probably the the last movie like this would have been ant-man and the wasp where it was like yeah you had a villain but it was just fun we're laughing we're going on this great journey you know this would be like a a one or two issue story in in a comic you know it it wasn't this just big open or big epic sweeping storyline with this massive threat that's going to end the world even though it does seem like that at one point it just wasn't that you know you you don't get that really so much in this movie um but they definitely lay the foundation for things moving forward into the next phase. Um, the end credit scenes of this movie are super important. There, there's two of them, and yeah, surprising, definitely. There's some shocks in there, uh, in both of them even, believe it or not. I think this is probably the most uh, shocking and, and probably important end credit scenes maybe we've ever had and and part of that is just because it's really setting the stage where things are going to go and it really um i, I don't know i, I don't want to talk about it without spoiling it, but but definitely stick around to the very end there's two of them so make sure you're there for those um i want to talk about jake gyllenhaal as mysterio um number one he was fantastic especially in the second half or second part of, of the, the movie. Um, you'll know what I mean when you see it. Um, seeing Mysterio on screen, the special effects for all of that, and the way they basically pulled him out of the comics, it, it, it literally looked that way. Like they just took their hand, ripped, ripped Mysterio out of the comics, and threw him on the screen. Um, if you know the character of Mysterio, 
and kind of what he can do. A lot of the comics that you read, like each page when you're turning it, it's, it's kind of like, not that he's in Spider-Man's mind, but he's just messing with Spider-Man where he's making him see things that aren't there and things like that. And they represent that on screen in just an awesome way, almost to the point where you're watching and you're almost going to feel like it's it's... It gave me moments of like Doctor Strange when Doctor Strange is flying through all the different, um, what are they, worlds or and all that. You, you get to see some of that with Mysterio doing that like you would see in the comics. And it's very, very cool. And then the reason why Mysterio is doing what he's doing and who he is, man, the Marvel team, they just have nailed these movies and tying them all together. It's super cool the way they do it. Um, so overall loving the movie. One, one interesting thing I want to throw out, and this isn't about the movie itself. This is actually about, um, just kind of my, our theater experience and us buying the tickets. Uh, but if you haven't really been following it, they re-released Avengers Endgame with six minutes of extra footage, which I of course want to go. I haven't, haven't gone back to see that footage yet. I actually haven't even read what that footage is yet. Um, but they basically kind of re-released it in theaters to get people to go back to the movies. And essentially what they're trying to do is they want Endgame to be the biggest movie of all time. They're they're right behind Avatar. It's getting very close. Um, may or may not pass it, but that's essentially what they're doing. But you know they've been touting all these box office numbers. Well, our movie theater here, the one that we ended up going to, has five dollar Tuesdays. And not that I mean a movie here is, is believe me, we're much cheaper than a lot of places. The theater's like I think it's like eight bucks or seven fifty or something like that. Um, but five dollars, you only save a few bucks. And, and honestly, we weren't going for that reason. It just happened. Hey, the movie's out on Tuesday. We're going Tuesday to see it. And when I walked in, they had signs on every single register, and then on the door and on the glass on the windows saying, "Due to film company restrictions, Spider-Man will not fall under our five dollar Tuesday promotion." And I kind of sat there and I'm like, "Man, like they're or Nintendo, that Disney and Marvel Studios is that." concerned about their box office numbers that they're not allowing these little smaller because it's actually an independent theater that we were, that we went to this time that they won't allow them to do that which i thought was kind of like really like okay i mean you know spider-man is gonna make so much money but all right i guess if that many millions of people go see it and they're all paying two dollars less on a tuesday yeah i guess they're not gonna make as much i don't know it's just kind of i don't want to say it rubbed me the wrong way but it was just kind of this weird thing i was like okay that that's kind of odd because ultimately if you don't know like movie theaters pay for the rights to show the movies they, they kind of lease the film reels essentially and then um you know they charge at the door but i think there are certain restrictions that companies can probably say hey we'll we'll allow you to rent our movie to show at your theater but you can't charge any charge any less than x and so that's why you know they they got the ability to do that i guess i don't know um, but, uh, but yeah, so I, I definitely go see this movie. Obviously, if you're a Marvel fan, I want to say, even if you're not so much a Marvel fan, cause we, we went and I ended up, one of my coworkers was there with, a um, he, his, um, kids are part of like a church youth group. And I think he brought them all there with him. Um, and he just happened to be at the showing we were at as well. And afterwards, one of the kids came out and she had never seen any of the Marvel movies, any of them. Which is kind of weird to say, like, you're going to go see this movie and you've never seen any of them, which the cool thing is, yes, you could go and not really know any anything about the other movies and still get a lot out of this movie because it doesn't really rely on those so much. I mean, there, there are characters that are there. There are things that happen that if you've seen those movies, obviously you're going to get way more out of it, especially if you've seen um, Endgame. But 
you can go in and just enjoy it for what it is. And my daughter absolutely loved this movie. I mean, we we go to these movies a lot and, and we always try to go early in the day because no matter what, any movie seven or after, she falls asleep every single time. So I was just expecting her to fall asleep in the movie. She didn't. I mean, she was wide awake the whole time, cheering, laughing. And I think a lot of that had to do with she watches on the Disney Channel. Um, uh, I can't think of the show. Whatever Zendaya, the girl that plays Mary Jane, is in, she loves that show. And so the fact that she was in it and the fact that they're playing a lot on the romantic relationship between her and, uh, you know, Peter Parker, Tom Holland, she just loved that. She just, you know, when they finally have their moments, you know, she's all, was all giddy and cheering and that, which the whole theater was. I mean, it's, it's great. I mean, I, I hope that they make 10 more of these movies with Tom Holland as Spider-Man. I mean, I, I hope that he now becomes kind of the Robert Downey where it's like, he, we just see him constantly in these movies. Uh, it's cool. And you know, where the future's going and kind of some of the things they set, it's, it of course could, could be there. So I'm going to end it off there. We'll, we'll, we'll talk spoilers next week on next week's episode. So hopefully a lot of you can get to see this movie. Um, but definitely rush out, see it, bring the, bring the kids, bring the family, bring everybody. It's, it's, it's awesome. So, uh, all right, well, let's wrap it up there, guys. You know, again, as always, thank you for tuning in. Oh, one other big thing, too, of course, this week is GuardianCon. So many of you are probably maybe listening to this on your way to GuardianCon. If you don't know what GuardianCon is, it is essentially now a big gaming convention. It was originally based around the video game Destiny. Now it's kind of been brought out to other games. I know some other companies are going to be there this year. It happens in Orlando this year, this weekend, Friday and Saturday. And um, big props to those guys. I mean, this is now the... What, this will be the fifth Guardian Con, if you include the original one, which was at the bar, the last three, and then this one. Um, they've raised over $3.7 million for St. Jude's, which is bananas. I mean, back when, you know, I remember when the one year we raised, whatever, 700000 we were shooting for a million the one year, thinking, like, there's no way they're going to get it. They are crushing it every year now. So big kudos to those guys. And, you know, unfortunately, I will not be able to make it to Guardian Con this year. I hope to be there next year but i hope everybody that is going i hope you have a lot of fun and uh say hey to everybody for me and uh just just you know again guardian con just an amazing amazing thing and also summer games done quick uh even raised over three million this past week i mean in the last two or three weeks gaming on twitch streaming has raised over six million dollars that's insane when you think about that when you even have some other big fundraisers i think i always bring up the one the nfl i forget who it was uh from the nfl on espn they kind of teamed up espn and the nfl and the, i don't even think they raised a million dollars for st jude's and yet here you have this video game fundraiser and they raised over 3.7 i mean that's that's insane so uh big kudos to them but uh, all right, so if you uh, subscribe to the show, whatever service you subscribe on, please like and subscribe over there. It helps push the podcast forward and helps spread the word. So I appreciate it if you do that. Again, email the, the show, the enthuselife at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at Mark Turk. That's M A R K T U R C. And again, you can find all those links down in the show notes. And big thanks again to GamerGoo. Go to GamerGoo.com. Use my code TELL, T E L, save yourself 10% off your order. And also, you can find that down in the show notes below. So, happy July 4th, everybody, for everybody here in the States. And uh, thank you for tuning in, however you're tuning in, whether it's through Podbean, through iTunes, or your podcast service of choice. Thank you so much. And with that, we'll catch you next week. Later. <laughs>